Hey, thanks for listening to the NIL Show, a Campus Inc. production. You can catch us on YouTube, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and on a campus near you. If you're out there interested in being a guest or having an NIL store for your campus merch, find us on any social channel or email. We're seeing the right companies and the right people stick around. The ones Mm -hmm. that are making the real impact and having that impact are sticking around. What is going on? It is season two, episode six. I'm Adam. Steven is over there. That means this is the NIL show. Joined by newly minted Campus Inker, repping his Campus Inc. sweatshirt today, Tate Gillespie, former director of NIL strategy at Kansas University, new director of NIL strategy and university partnerships at Campus Inc. What's good, Tate, besides the short hair? Besides the short hair, I'm uh, excited to be here week two in and I'm already on the podcast. So uh, excited to be here. Shout out for the invite. Throw you into the deep end. <laughs> I got a podcast mic here with your name on it. All right. Oh, I, I hope my audio is not too bad today. You're no, just your audio is great, but uh, I have to give you shit because I think during your interview process, you talked about, the, you talk about I, this. I, I think I tried to negotiate that in and it just didn't happen. <laughs> I, I got no fewer than two texts from Tate that, that were like, hey man, like when, when's that podcast mic on its way? <laughs> That's the best time to negotiate, right? Is oh, yeah. is during if the offer period. Gonna get it. Tate, when we when we talked in the interview process, a lot of it was like, Yeah, you're gonna be, you know, NIL strategy and, and talking to schools and collectives and stuff, but a lot of it is is also like storytelling, helping athletes out, few leaders in the space. And I think that's like an important part. And we learned that even just like Sean's been the biggest advocate of that, of this whole storytelling thing. So I'm excited. I kind of said like I need to just like back off because now like the experts are in the room like this is, this is you guys now like I'm good <laughs> and I'll go on record. I don't poach people. <laughs> this is coming a theme of our podcast when we bring on new hires. I said that last week because I don't want like schools and companies to be like, what the heck are you doing? I, just, uh, I can keep that. He didn't sniff that up. <laughs> okay. Let the record show. Sean actually was really involved in the interview process, and the two of you kind of had that conversation. I'm curious, Tate, talk to us about that that process. You've obviously, we're, we're going to talk Kansas and stuff like that, but curious to what your experience was like and, and, and how, that, how that was coming in and talking to Sean and things like that. No, Sean was uh, great to have on that process, even for like, you know, the formal stuff, but also more like the, informal just like one-off texts calls more so just because he was coming from a position that i could really relate to coming from inside of an athletic department at you know a maryland to kansas type level and making that transition over into the private business world was something that i really wanted to pick his brain on you know how's that experience been how have you enjoyed the move what are the pros cons we could relate a lot to some of the administrative experiences so he was great to just kind of pick the brain on and be like Hey, am I crazy? No? Okay, cool. <laughs> it's the season of hope, right? It's yes. it's the time that when you said there's always next year, it's like next year's here. We can do this. Sean, when you you've now interviewed and helped us hire like our team, what do you when you have these conversations like with Tate and with this and that, like let's spend a second there. What are those conversations like? What are you looking for? You're not a professional interviewer. And sometimes you'll text me after and be like, holy shit, they were amazing. But then you were like, I spent a ton of time with them. Can you just spend like a minute there talking about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that when Tate and I were, were chatting 
it was probably scheduled for be a half hour chat. And I think it ended up being about an hour and 15 minutes. I think that went, it went that way when I talked to Sean Childers too, I I had that 40 minute zoom and we had to re up it again because I was like, I just love what you're saying. I want to talk to you more about this and hear your thoughts on everything. I don't know. I guess on my end, I'm a little bit more of a, more of an intangible guy where I like just, I want to hear, first of all, get to know them a little bit as a person, hear their experiences. To me, the value of the team and that culture is so critically important. You're going to be working with this person every day and you want to know that there's somebody that is bought into what you're doing. And and if they played a sport, I think that that's incredibly valuable. There's somebody that knows that it's not all about themselves, that in order for our company to be successful, we got to be successful as a group, right? And so that, that was a lot of our conversation with me and Tate where we were just kind of getting to know each other and riffing back and forth on what we know about the space. And, and it, one thing led to another, and we're just comparing notes on our experiences in the athletic department. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. Ultimately, it always came back to, I think both of us, Tate, and you, uh, you probably agree with this, our favorite part of it was dealing with the athletes, right? That, that's like the best part, right? Wouldn't you say the same? Yeah, I mean, it's a common theme of, I would say, just admin as a general. But if you talk to every NIL director around the country, there's a lot of stuff that would, you know, man, a lot of long days, you know, long nights. But it's always like, oh, the refreshing part is actually when you get to sit down with a team or with, you know, one-on-one with the athletes. So, yeah, I told Sean all the time, I was like, back to the August theme of like, man, you know, the, the toughest part would be telling my athletes that, hey, I yeah. won't be there, you know etc. But yeah, that's absolutely the best part. I have to say you did it with a lot of grace. That was always forefront when you were talking about that transition. And, and I think you, you did a phenomenal job. Give the two of you a lot of credit for being very conscious about what happens when you do transition. So kudos to you guys for that. Adam, what do you got? Hey, before Kansas, you were at Talkwalker. And yep. that's actually where we first met. And I, I think one of the like really interesting things about your background. There you go, repping the Talkwalker promo products. This is my point here, actually, is, you know, you were a collegiate athlete at Corpus Christi, went overseas, played baseball in France professionally, then came back and started in NIL on the business side, transitioned into, you know, the institutional side, and now back on the business side. Having the, that, like, stacked experience is so rare, which I think is, is really exciting. From the, like, business side at Talkwalker, vacillating back and forth between those two things like how have you watched the nil space and the conversation around it change in the last 18 months or so yeah it's been crazy to think i mean we kind of to get back to when i you know started a talk walker and jumped in there uh with tim stevens who i think most on this call know like i couldn't have asked for a better you know career mentor at that time in my life because i was still like up in the air about am i gonna go back and play a little bit like in all honesty, I, when I first took the talk walker job, I was like, you know, I might do this for, you know, the off season, you know, and then I might go back and play again. But what we started to figure out was with NIL, with, you know, such a need in the market, you know, for new resources, for tools, for support, for athletes in schools that I was like, Hey, I, I don't need to be playing anymore. I need to, you know, actually, you know, make a real impact here and focus. But with that though, like, seeing how NIL came about. It was something that I wrote about, you know, in my college thesis. I found that the other day while I was starting to move out. Like my college thesis paper was about the EA Sports video game and why college athletes deserve the right to monetize their name image like this. I'll have to send you guys a picture of it. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, that was always my go-to in school was uh, like, yeah, I'm going to write about, you know, college athletes monetization. But to take it from that side as an athlete to talk walker to the school to now, seeing more and more folks become less 
enamored with NIL in a good way, where it's no longer this thing that people are calling a trend or a fad. No, this is just going to be, you know, a new market, new industry, but we're already starting to see it mature. The, the biggest theme I would say, we're seeing the right companies and the right people stick around. The ones that are making the real impact and having that impact are sticking around. Maybe Congress might, maybe Capitol Hill might be a little different right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, whole new world to them. Like, what? This uh, is happening? Two, two things on that. The college thesis thing. I bet you, Sean, you've got some awesome archives. I bet, Adam, you've got some stuff. I was digging in some stuff, too, and I found some, some business aspiration stuff from my... Uh, senior year so we'll have to have to go down memory lane Tate, can we for one second talk about adam went off this week professor cook <laughs> class was in session <sighs> we gotta talk about spiking. it because Tate, you said something interesting there you said the right people are starting to get like it's almost like the thing everything's like starting to position and mature yeah. and you know the right people are getting in the right rooms and the right seats meanwhile on capitol hill there's some interesting things going off, and Adam, do you just you you want to spend a minute? Sure. So basically, the bottom line, if you haven't been paying attention, is that there are upwards of ten different versions of bills from just as many people on Capitol Hill right now talking about what the path forward should be for NIL, which basically means that the NCAA is lobbying Congress essentially to solve this NIL problem for them. There is a multitude of problems just from from that approach at all. But particularly the thing that that kind of set me off this week was you had a senator who was listening to testimony from a bunch of different, you know, people that have been in the space at varying levels, most of them from a 30,000 foot level, not not on the ground floor. And he said on the record to the nation I just find it hard to root for freshmen and sophomores when they're already multimillionaires. And, and that to me, I mean, even recapping this right now is making my, my blood pressure spike because that to me is really the root of all of this issue is that you have people sitting at the highest levels of government where a governing body, the NCAA, knows what their thoughts and perspective are and they are going to them saying, hey, help, help us out with this when the foundational belief is that NIL is a problem for no other reason than I just find it hard to root for rich people, which is ironic when we're talking about Capitol Hill. So Tate, you and I have talked about this a lot. You spend a lot of time within the institution, and I would argue that in order to make change, one of the hardest places to do it, but most important places to do it is within those institutions. Also difficult to speak freely about things sometimes. I mean, watching these hearings, you had to write briefs on it for ADs and things like that. What, what's your thoughts on kind of how this conversation is shaping up? Apparently, I've become known for when these hearings happen. My tweets tend to go a little bit off the rail because like you, Adam, I tend to get <laughs> super frustrated with this stuff. But, you know, one of my go-to quotes on this, whenever people ask what's going on, I'm like, well, you've got the future of this, you know, billion dollar industry that has been around forever being determined by the NCAA and Congress, two groups super well known for innovation and, you know, being <laughs> creative, right? It's frustrating because like you said, the main thing that gets me frustrated watching these hearings is the lack of people who are actually involved with NIL on a day to day basis. For the mm -hmm. first time, having Walker Jones from a collective, you know, at a power five level being represented was great. Why is that the first time that we're hearing from collective? There's some ADs out there who are very involved in NIL and they know what's going on. And that's great. You can tell the schools that are doing well in NIL because their ADs are bought in, they're involved. Those are not the ADs that are being propped up to sit in those chairs. 
it's the ADs that aren't involved and don't quite know what's going on. Like if there's an AD out there that says that our collective is not talking to anybody within our athletic department or coaches on a daily basis, that, that couldn't be farther from the <laughs> truth. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the most frustrating part for me is there's yet to be an NIL director from a power five school, you know, sit in that chair. There's yet to be a, an NIL star really from a like power five football men's or women's basketball player, you know, be represented up there because while their experiences are important, they're vastly different than an Olympic sport athlete, you know, and I can speak on both. I played at a mid-major school. You know, I know what those athletes are going through in NIL. It's two different galaxies compared to what a Kansas type athlete is going through an NIL. That's, I think, one of the the things that is just absolutely bonkers to me is when we talk about this at those highest levels, right? At the levels of legislation, at the levels of like whatever the soundbite is happening in the media, is it's such a one-dimensional conversation. Most of the time, if you ask them, who specifically are you talking about? It's a women's or men's basketball player or it's a football player. And there's this whole other swath of this entire ecosystem that doesn't even register in their consciousness most of the time when we're talking about this we can put a microscope on on what the senator said and you know mm. that can be a thing we focus on that's one issue of many but i i do think it's an important issue because it to me reveals again the root problem is we have no no problem with people making money in college sports right all you have to do is look at what happened this summer the institutions themselves making sure they can monetize this as much as great as they can we have no problem looking at coaches contracts so coaches can monetize this as much as they can all the way down to the lowest levels of their staff the only time the issue comes up is when it's like oh wait the players are now making money nope that's where i draw the line and that's, you know, that's the issue to me is you are so blatantly exposing your bias to moving away from opportunity. And when you stop, you know, young people from being able to monetize the singular thing that they're actually good at, and you watch a governing body try to unilaterally legislate that, alarm bells should be blaring in everybody's I, brains right now. I put it super short. It's weird. Like that you want to watch a game and you either like or not like watching the product if you know that the players on that product are making less money like this got summed up to me well because when i was playing in europe i would have to explain to my you know european teammates about the college sports amateur structure and then ncaa and they're like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard and i'm like yeah you're right <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I, I have a question geared towards Tate and Sean. Like on the universe, if you put your university hat on or your athletic director hat on, do the ADs want some sort of legislation across the board to even the playing field? Do they want the NCA to do it and they're just not? Like, because I, I mean, I was, you know, I follow like University of Illinois AD and like it's kind of like, you know, supporting like, yeah, there, there should be something. What is the position kind of from the school standpoint, maybe from like what you guys hear on the inside without revealing too much? What does leadership really want if you and, and these are two power five schools we talked about, Kansas, Maryland? I think it's different at every school, obviously, just because of, the, you know, where they feel themselves positioned by conference, by leadership, et cetera. So won't speak for any certain school on that. I will say, I think largely they don't care where it comes from. They just want what they determine an equal playing field. Um, and I think the biggest part that comes up when they say, oh, maybe it has to be from legislation is because of the varying state laws. You know, I'll speak for us, Kansas, 
we were had no state law around NIL, which for a long time was considered good. You you know, you could go off your institutional and your NCAA policy. But then over the time I was there, we saw Missouri's new state law pop up, Oklahoma's new state law, and then Colorado. Three of our bordering states who our coaches, you know, recruit against a lot, found themselves, you know, competing against different NIL bills. So I would say that's probably where a lot of the frustration for administration and coaches came from and it is coming from is you'll get varying responses. Is it a different, you know, model altogether from a revenue share employment status? Great. Is it, you know, legislation that's going to put guardrails on it? Awesome. I don't think a lot of them care where it comes from or the, you know, engine of it. They just want everybody to be on the same playing field. And to be fair, you know, I posted something on LinkedIn and I had somebody ask a really good question. They were like, so are you saying that the way that it is right now is the way that it should be? We shouldn't pursue, you know, blanket policies or standards. And I'm like, no, of course not. The way it is right now is a little bit of a dumpster fire. But the way it is right now is only that way, because when this changed, the NCAA said, we want nothing to do with it. You are on your own. And so what it created was this wide open kind of blank slate where you could have maybe some opportunistic bad actors come in and take advantage of athletes, or you could have, we'll just call, call it like it is major collective Spartan dogs for life decide, Oh, just kidding. We don't want to pay you guys. And you can, there's no guardrails to stop those things. So should it stay the way it is? No, but to adjust it just enough to appease antitrust laws while still allowing all of these like legacy controls in place that still don't keep the interest of the best athlete or the best interest of the athlete in mind also isn't the right path forward. The, the two things I think are the funniest about that keep coming up in there is a, the uniform contracts that people keep pushing for that. And then the piece on there about, oh, these deals aren't going to be used for recruiting inducements. Nobody's going out and saying these are recruiting inducements to come to the school. I'm like, that's, that piece is not happening. People are a lot smarter with, you know, how they're <laughs> yeah. structuring those in their words. They're not saying that. And so they're, that will never actually be, you know, fully stopped. But the uniform contracts piece is like, oh, you've actually never seen an influencer marketing campaign be executed. Sean, what about you, Maryland? Like from your experience, and you were probably early on before you obviously left Maryland, what was the position or, or how do you feel like, you know, they took it or, or maybe maybe that region? I think Tate hit the nail on the head. I think ultimately it comes down to people wanting a level playing field. In the business of sports, everybody's looking naturally for every loophole, every advantage to get a leg up. The value of the win, financially speaking, is massive. We uh, are seeing a little bit with Mr. Cook's Michigan Wolverines and what they're going through this week with their uh, their sign-stealing controversy. Sorry, Adam. But no, schools want a, a level, level playing field. That's the bottom line. And the NCAA has always been weird because what they have many called rules are actually it's compliance offices making interpretations uh, on mm -hmm. these rules. And so it, there's never really been an even playing field in general. So ultimately it, it, it's this messy cobweb of how, how can we make this as level a playing field as possible for everybody? I, I, I personally, I just want to put a pin real quick in the Senator Manchin thing. I want to ask you two brief questions. One, who actually knows how much athletes get paid? From NIL deals. Uh, How many yeah. people? There's three people. Three people. You have the athlete, their agent, if they have one, and the school. 
Gotcha. So Senator Manchin does not know how much they actually make. Two, two, how many, how many would you wager? How many freshmen and sophomores actually are millionaires from NIL deals? You count them on one hand. Yeah, exactly. So that's what, that's what really bothered me about that whole statement was that painting this wide brush that I can't watch sports anymore because freshmen and sophomores are millionaires. Well, there's very few that actually are. And so to just paint this negative light across it, that's what really drove me the most nuts. Uh, and there are many, many reasons to be upset about it. But that one it was just in its simplest form. It was like, what an asinine statement. Make sure I got that clear from you, Tate, as somebody that was just on the inside. That is correct, yeah. <laughs> I, I think too, like it, we keep we keep circling around this, which is is fine because it's, it's important to clarify these things because this is what's driving the, the national conversation right now. But I don't necessarily think that that is an accident either. I mean, you have, when you get to these highest levels of, you know, legislation or leadership or whatever you want to say, they're, they're pretty smart and they, they do a really good job at making sure that things go their way. Right. And you know, we, we had a conversation recently where some schools wanted to put us in touch with, you know, some of their current partners that handle a a lot of different group rights activations and things like that. And the first thing that, that they told us was, oh, we never sign students to anything that's exclusive. So I'm like, okay, great, cool, good idea. Us neither. So we can start doing jerseys and, well, no. So we don't sign the students to anything exclusive, but if we're using our program, we have one company that we let do jerseys and we have one company that we let do uh, name and number tees. So I'm like, okay. So you have created a system in a way that you can truthfully go out and say, we are non-exclusive. You can do whatever you want. However, we pretty much own this whole space. And if you want to work with us, you got to go through this one provider. So when you hear these conversations around people saying there's no innovation, you know, there's, there's, there's no uh, ability of choice or there's this pseudo monopoly going on. That's what we're talking about is these legacy stakeholders have created in a way where they can truthfully say, no, nah, you can do whatever you want. But if you want the one thing that's going to bring you the most value, we control 100% of it. How did you navigate some of those conversations with your athletes at, at Kansas, Tate, particularly as it relates to like them wanting to do stuff that was licensed? It was a tough one. And you hit the nail on the head with the pseudo monopoly because in so many ways, as crazy as it sounds, it always blows people away when you actually explain how you know the licensing and the logo acquisition works at 99% of these schools is... You know, we would have athletes that would come to my office and be like, hey, I'd like to, you know, use our logo with this or I'd like to wear a Kansas shirt while doing this. It's not even me that gets to go. I'm like, yeah, you need to go talk to our Learfield team. And like who's Lear- athletes don't know who, you know, mm-hmm. an MMR partner is. And then I explain that. They're like, so we actually don't control our own logo. I'm like, yes, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, you need to go talk to this third party that runs it. And I, I think that's. That's probably the most frustrating, confusing part for so many student athletes in the NIL ecosystem in general is that so many of these things are third party operated, third party run, where the school really don't have a ton of control over it. So would you say, Tate, it would actually be beneficial for them to be able to have almost like a representative body themselves that actually understands all of the nuance and... MMR partnerships and layers of licensing and control, would it be beneficial for the student athletes to have a representative body that way? If my mic could go any louder than it is, I would say yes. And I would scream a little louder. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, we've talked a lot about this legislation piece and the frustrations of it, but there's also a lot of amazing things that that are happening in the NIL space. And you kind of spearheaded a lot of them at Kansas. One of my favorite things that I know you guys launched because it, you know, it aligns with what an institution is supposed to do is educate their students was mm-hmm. this NIL certificate. Can, can you talk a little bit about what, what the NIL certificate was and, and how that got started? Yeah. So that was probably my like most like project that I'm most proud of in our time there. And that's something that started back in August. I, I'll admit I went extremely naive into navigating campus and the academic side. I was like, oh, you know, I'll know exactly who the three or four decision makers are on something like this. Oh, we, can yeah. get this we can move it fast. <laughs> like athletics. Uh, no, that, that conversation started in August and it got done in, I think, February or March. And people were like, wow, that moved so fast. So I was like, okay. <laughs> People were blown away by how quickly that's the academia world. Yeah, no, it's awesome because we have a very good sports management program. As I came to, you know, continue learning in a very good journalism school, two things that are very relevant, you know, in NIL. But what we kept seeing a lot of was the general student population being interested in NIL, and it was all spearheaded because I think the first two weeks I had my email set up, I probably had no less than twenty students email me and say. Hey, I don't know how or what, but I want to learn more about NIL. Can I set up a Zoom call? Can I do an internship? Like they were just wanting to be involved. They're like, I want to be working in sports. And I know NIL is going to be one of the most important pieces of it. How can I be around it? So I really kind of started to think like, we need something for this student population, a way for them to get involved. I was lucky we had a incredible faculty athletics rep that really pushed it across the line. She carried the torch for us on that. We had a sports management professor that stood up, Jordan Bass, and he was like, I'll own this thing. It came out to three different courses, all centered around NIL, and they were great. They're self-paced courses, but there was stuff that aren't being taught from the fully academic side, which I thought was great. Guest speakers were myself. We had coaches on there speaking on, hey, how does a coach navigate NIL? Athletes are involved speaking, hey, this is the athlete's point of view on NIL. So really getting a take it completely out of the academic side and really mix some real life stuff in there along with a mix of sports law, sports management, journalism, and being the first power five school to offer that certificate was something that we're really proud of. And I think those classes filled up in a matter of one or two days to where it hasn't been announced yet, but there's more stuff that was ongoing as I was leaving more partnerships. So I think Kansas is going to continue to be a, uh, you know, a pace setter on the academic side for what you can do with NIL. That's that's so stellar. And I think, you know, a big piece of of kind of setting the tone for the athletes and what what they want or or what they should be doing in the NIL landscape is really setting a culture of it across campus, um, which is, you know, what you were a huge advocate for. How how did that change? And I know, you know, it was still early, but how did that change maybe, you know, athletes' perspective, administrators' perspective, or coaches' perspective? When, when they saw the institution taking a stance of like, hey, this is a good thing. We actually want to create resources around this. Did you see that ripple effect across the athletics department as well? Yeah, we saw it because I think so many people, and Sean, you can absolutely relate to this being in the athletics department. There's such an echo chamber that starts to exist of, you know, for us, it was, yeah, there's not many times where you leave Allen Fieldhouse, where your office is. Not, not a whole lot of you know times you get out there. So I think it really helped a lot of people understand like, oh, wow, this is, there's a lot more people that care about NIL that are outside this athletics department or are 
donors or businesses. There's people that just want to learn about it and make a career out of it. Like we had students that wanted to be sports agents. Great. You need to learn about NIL. If you want to be an agent, that's going to be, you know, a massive part of it. That, and I think we always get back to, you can look at the good NIL or the bad NIL. And I think that really helped showcase the good NIL, you know, that could exist on campus. Um, I think athletes really enjoyed it. Okay. Tate. So in my pitch deck to investors, I have a slide. It's a quote from a player that may have transferred from Michigan to Kansas. And it says the the people hating on me would leave their job right now for a $10,000 increase. I got less than six figures at school X and now, yeah, for the year. And in my slide, I say NIL deals, you know, matter, like if schools are not progressive or if they're not thinking about this or if they're on their heels, the athletes will get a little antsy, right? <clears throat> Can you talk about that from during transfer portal period? What, what was that like? What were the emotions? Were there just as many athletes coming, you know, searching and saying, where is there better resources? Where are there better opportunities? How much does that actually come up? Obviously, this made a lot of news, but could you, could you shed a little light there? Yeah, I think one thing that really surprises a lot of people is there's this conception out there that athletes, you know, we we'll use transfer portal athletes as an example, are going to schools and saying, I want X or this is my number. And that's not really happening. What athletes are asking about is they want to know, hey, if I go out and I perform, you know, on the field, on the court, I put up numbers, I take care of my brain off the field. Am I going to be able to maximize, you know, my opportunities and my resources here? Do you have the resources for it? You know, from a collective perspective, from a business perspective, you know, from an NIL, just overall resource perspective at the school, or am I going to need to, am I going to be leaving money on the table? Because for so many athletes, this is their highest earning potential, you know, th throughout their entire lives for a lot of these athletes. So they want to know in this two-year window, Am I going to be leaving money on the table or do I have everything I need to succeed? So when you're able to tell the stories of past players and be like, hey, this is how they've done a great job with this. These are the resources and the tools here. It's pretty easy for them to be like, oh, yeah, OK, this is real. And honestly, where a lot of it's coming from is players talk to current players when they're on their visits. You That's think? who they're talking to. Is <laughs> Hey, because they can sit through a presentation of like, hey, these are all the resources. Great. But if they go talk to their host and like, yeah, what's that? And yeah, actually, we don't get any of that. Then that whole pitch is out the window. So when uh, you do things that match up, it's great. That's really interesting. So um, two things. First thing is we had a player bring a potential recruit through our print shop. I saw and your he, LinkedIn post about and that. And he asked about it and said, can I, can I bring someone through? And I was like, uh, I, know. I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, but like, he obviously knows what he's doing, senior on the team. And, you know, as he was coming through, it wasn't, this is how much you make per shirt. It's this is the merch company we work with. Yep. These are where our jerseys are. We just drive up here and stop in and get our stuff. They, you know, they're they're great to work with. Like this is Lindsay. This is Jenna. They're part of the family. You know, and like that alone, that wasn't a recruiting inducement. That's just like, hey, yeah. th these are the perks we get. No differently than these are our facilities. These are our locker rooms. These are our, you know this is what our, our bowling alley looks like, you know, in our game room and all that good yeah. stuff. And I thought that was such a great example of players doing the work on behalf of the, like the schools maybe have their, their hands tied a little bit and can't do those things and the players doing that. And so like, I'm sure players are texting with each other and I'm sure 
you know, we see it happening in the NBA mm-hmm. <laughs> with players kind of colluding and, and saying, I'll go here, you go here, well, we'll do this. Like we did it to pick rooms in our frat house. We were, we were figuring out, you know, ahead of time who's getting good, you know, getting room picks. Uh, but it's it's kind of the same thing is like they played with these guys in AAU. They've grown up with them. They sort of want to assemble their own fantasy team. And, and, and that's natural. You're never going to stop that. Um, but I think it's also really, really, really a positive thing. So with with that being said, you see something like Utah where all the athletes got new trucks, right? Can you guys break down the anatomy of that deal? Like, how does that deal go down so everyone understands? Like, does a dealership donate them? Like, yeah, explain that one because that came up in, in on Capitol Hill, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. But it's it's really not. So I mean, like, they just did a really good job of publicizing it. It's not something unique that like, oh wow, they're the only you know, they're the only group of athletes that are getting cards. That's happening at every Power Five school around the country and they just did an incredible job of publicizing it and what they've done is they've done a great job of turning that into that's not a recruiting inducement but they're telling every recruit that comes in there they're like hey look at what our current players are getting look at how they're maximizing that that's an opportunity how that's typically going to go is that's going to go through their collective and the collective will probably sign every athlete on that team to an nil deal a contract that says the collective has the right to you know use your player name, your image, your likeness, and our marketing deals, you are required to promote the collective. That's why you'll see some athletes tweeting about donate here to, you know, fundraise for the collective. They're using that in exchange for monthly payments, just a normal standard brand contract just happens to be with the collective. Now, as part of that, like, oh, hey, also the value of this car lease is going to be included in your collective contract. It's really nothing groundbreaking. It's happening everywhere to get 85 of those things is more than most schools are doing. They did a great job publicizing it. But but I mean, if you think about it, like, okay, 80 car leases, I don't know what a truck lease is for these days, maybe 400 bucks a month, call it four grand a year per guy. It's a $300,000 NIL deal across 75. I don't know. I don't know how many guys got them or whatever, but that's not crazy. No, it's I mean, not well, crazy. It's probably, there's a decent chance that some of those were, they might've been donated by a dealership because the and, dealership wants to be involved in that. And yeah, and, and now you've got 60, 70 guys. I don't know how many how many got them. Um, that's just to show I don't know how many guys are allowed on a football roster. Now they're all marketing for that car dealership. That car dealership is famous now. Yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly the, the thing here is like, you know, a lot of people can point to that as saying, oh my gosh, they're getting cars, they blah, 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 blah. But the, the car dealership didn't have to do that. Let's, let's remember that nobody was like strong arming the car dealership to do this. They are understanding that they get a massive value back from entering into these deals and these agreements with the athletes themselves because there is value to be had on both sides. And, yeah. you know, it's they're not giving away cars for free. It's a lease that you can use while you are enrolled there on the team. No different than, hey, are you a music student? Come here and use our top of the line, you know, recording studios or top of the line instruments while you're a student here on campus. It's just it's just a part of being a member of that ecosystem. That's not new. That's not out of this world. And that's not backwards. That's just the way the market works. Coaches have country club memberships written into their contracts and, you know, comp cars. It's so a little more than that, yeah. And uh, but but if you think about it, like I don't know what car dealership, what brand of car it was to 
say it was like GMC or something, they're going to spend millions of dollars in advertising. They're going to pay for Super Bowl commercials. They're going to have billboards. That could be one of the best uses of like micro influence in a local area that they're like, shoot, we really need to pop this area up. GMC could say, we're not doing very well in this region. This is how we're going to go in and kind of plant a huge seed. It's a genius genius brand marketing deal. I just want to follow a question on that take because you understand this really well. So, you know, a lot of times that deal is going through the collective. Why, why is that going through the collective? Why doesn't every person who has any value in NIL just go get themselves an agent and just, you know, have the, because nobody has problems with agents doing it, but all of a sudden when we put a collective in place, it's like, oh my gosh, this is an issue. So I mean, why don't these guys just go, go hire an agent, call it a day. Yeah, it's because realistically, the agent piece is a whole nother issue that I can rant on. Another thing is um, that's one piece I do support in legislation is anything that calls for an agent registration, because right now anybody can put in their Twitter bio that I'm a NIL agent. I've seen some that have said NCAA certified NIL agent. I'm like, mm, mm, that's, that's not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> you're a sophomore in college. Yeah, I had one DM me one time at Kansas say I'm Big 12 certified NIL agent. Like, oh, I. I must have missed that come down the but huh anyway to, yeah to answer your question Adam is because there's not a lot of guys that want more cooks in the kitchen right like they want to be able to handle this themselves collectives have popped up as essentially marketing agencies that are hyper focused and hyper local they are the best collectives are trying to be the WME and the CAAs of their college town right of you know Tuscaloosa. They're trying to be the WME of Knoxville, Tennessee. Those are the collectives that are doing the best job is those that are looking at it like that. And on the flip side, what makes it easier for a business is they're still in the mindset of, you told me for a hundred years, I can't give these guys a free you know, cup of Coke at my restaurant. Come in and fill that void of, hey, we can help you. We can walk you through this. They've existed to get back to your point because schools are so hamstrung. And can't do it themselves. I just want to Go hear ahead, John. from Tate real quick on uh, the pressure that NIL directors are under when they're at schools. And you're getting it from athletes, coaches, administrators, fans who all want something a little bit different. Describe what that pressure is like and how quickly when a, when a deal like those, those trucks at Utah, when that comes through, there's got to be a little bit of you that's like, oh boy, here we go. And who, who's knocking on that door and how fast are they going to knock on that door saying, how, when can we get our trucks? What, what, what's, what's that pressure like for an NIL director? Yeah, so it's a common theme. If we were to have some other folks on here, they would say the same thing. What makes it that pressure is because there is such high expectations, but such low real control over things of like, there's so many things I would see like, I would love to go out and do that, but we are reliant on our, you know, a third party, right? And that's the frustrating part is on so many areas, the schools and the NIL directors don't have that direct control right now, you know, to actually go out and proactively do it, that it's constantly reliant on a third party, you know, be that a brand, a collective, whoever that may be. So that's where the frustration can come in. Sometimes you're like, I would love to go handle this myself. I would love to do it, but that's what NILs turned into. It's, you know, I saw this, we should be doing it. It's the constant keeping up with the Joneses. That's where it's important to have your North Star. And we would we would constantly say like North Star, stay on track, keep yeah. doing what we're doing, keep being sustainable at it. Because if you chase every shiny object in NIL, you're gonna end up off the course so fast. I know we're coming up on time, but I got a couple quick hitters we can just run through real quick. One of the 
coolest things that I saw this week. Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver at Ohio State, All-American star. He's wearing 7-Eleven Speedway cleats this weekend with proceeds from sales going to Nationwide Children's Hospital. I didn't even know that that was... Uh, something that athletes could do was was partner with a, a brand and put that on their on their apparel shoes that are that are team sponsored. Tate, can you touch on that real quick? Yeah, that one is probably like a uh every compliance office might have their own interpretation yeah. of that. I know we didn't do anything like that. We we haven't seen anything like that, but I'm personally in favor. I think it's sick. I, I yeah. encourage more of it. Mm -hmm. Um just my personal two cents on that. But yeah, every I, school is different on that. I mean breaking rules on what you wear on your sneakers is not a uh is, is not old is, is not uh something new so <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and good reference to michael jordan wearing the uh wearing the black and red shoes by the way steven we had a couple really cool drops last week i just want to touch on from our company western kentucky they had a thing go viral where every one of their position groups there were seven different position groups were wearing a different big red logo on their helmet for their tuesday night game which was last night unfortunately they lost but Western Kentucky, Colin Stoker, uh, always phenomenal, came to us with an idea. Hey, what if we do this for our athletes? Our creative team got our heads together. Sarah Hoffman, Sean Childers was involved. We're able to, to create a shirt with that big red logo uh, on seven different shirts with each position group, those players within them splitting commissions there. So just like a creative way to make NIL, NIL happen with a viral moment. That was really, really fun. And then Gabe Cups, he's a star incoming freshman at Indiana. Just had an incredible idea for this breakfast club, which is him waking up at 4 a.m. every morning and working out at 5 a.m. before anybody else is up. Big shout out to Molly Pfeiffer, creative account manager for Indiana, and Sean Childers, again, our, our merch designer, who they they saw that thing through from start to finish. And, and I think the most important thing was they knew that there was an opportunity there. They started it really, really early on. And so they were able to concept through, have some discovery calls. They were able to get samples out to Gabe. So he was able to have an amazing photo shoot out at a local Waffle House. If you have not seen the pictures, go check out the pictures. Really, really cool. And then because there was this incredible story tied to it, I think Indiana fans really resonated with that message of Breakfast Club. What fan doesn't love hearing about a, a, an athlete that is super into getting up early and working out and making himself better? That resonates. And so had a lot of success. So it's really cool drops that I just want to touch on from last week. And and I think the coolest part there is like Colin from WKU, super helpful in like kind of getting our wheels turning. Mm -hmm. And then on the, you know, on, on Gabe's stuff, like, you know, AT from Excel, you know, he's obviously working on huge deals with his players, you know, from the agency side, Excel being, you know, one of the largest, but he understands that this is a brand building moment for Gabe that can last him for as long as he's at, you know, as long as he's you know playing basketball. And so like, it, it was very insightful when I talked to the team at Excel. They're like, for us, it's just a little different. Like, we, we just want to help them plant these seeds now. Now that they're going to make get rich off these, I mean, he's going to, he's sold a ton already. I know he's made a boatload, but, but it's just so interesting to see like it from both sides and, and having two incredible activations. All right, Tate, one question before we leave. Adam, hit him with it. Most important question of the day, Tate, not your playing career, but Tate today, if you could sign your dream NIL restaurant deal, who are you signing the deal with? Oh, good day, chow. Oh, that's, that's a yeah. great call. And all you can eat. I'm keeping the card on green the whole time. Yes. 
going with it. Yeah. And, and, and a market table to go Fogo. with it. Oh yeah. So Fogo, if you're out there, uh, we'll, we'll figure something out. You, you know where to find him. That's, that might be an all timer right there. I, I love ending on that note. Tate, fantastic conversation. I know that these, these topics, we're really grateful to have your perspective on them here and now on campus Inc. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show here again very very soon i'm adam that's steven there's sean over there that's another episode of the nil show we will catch you guys next time hi everybody adam cook from campus inc in the nil store want to say real quickly thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey and as a reminder if you ever need any custom merchandise youth jerseys camp t-shirts whatever it may be you can always find us at campus.inc and of course for all your nil needs nil.store We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy.